Welcome to the Cross Lane Podcast, a community committed to bringing people to Jesus. Welcome to part three of our five-part series called Hashtag Struggles. We're talking about following Jesus in a selfie-centered world. Today, I want to talk about authenticity. How do we become authentic in a selfie-centered world? Hang on a minute. I I need to, uh, before we get much further, I need to take the Sunday morning selfie. I did this in the first service, and I did it wrong. Somebody could not wait to come up to me after the service and say, Brett, you did it wrong. So I'm going to go this way with this one. All right, we're going to be really cool. I'm going to give you some of that. We're going to do that again because that's not cool. All right, so give me just a minute. I'm going to post that to Instagram and to Twitter and I'm such a moron. Okay. <clears throat> you guys can just show this to your friends and say, he's such an idiot. Look at him. Um, second service selfie. All right, it's out there. You're about to be famous. There you go. So we're talking about how to be authentic in a selfie-centered world. Now, If you're involved in social media, selfies are what you take to kind of, you know, put a picture of yourself online. If there's nobody else around to take a picture for you, then a selfie is when you turn the camera on yourself. This is a new term. This term hasn't been around very long at all. In fact, this term just made, started making dictionaries, uh, the idea of the word selfie, and it may be difficult for you to understand if you're someone that's not on social media or you're not using a computer much. Um, here's what I would say. My generation did not turn the camera on itself very much. We didn't, in fact, when you think about the way cameras are made, it was hard to, it would have been hard to take a picture of yourself. That's just something that we didn't do. Uh, the selfie is kind of a new thing that is done today. The reality for us, many in my generation anyway, is we hated having our picture taken, right? Is that you? Uh, my brother, if you wanted to see a scowl come across his face, when, when it came, we went to see Grandma and it was time to leave and Mom wanted to take a picture of all of us, I mean, World War III broke out because he just did not want his picture taken. For a lot of us, the worst day at school was what day? Picture day, absolutely. Do you remember picture day at school? My mom would make me wear clothes that I would never normally wear, right? I called them church clothes. I'd have to get up early to make sure that I was going to have a good hair day. You remember that? Girls, I know you, you go through that. You've got to make sure it's all going to go the right direction and enough hairspray and you can make anything happen. And uh, usually I was taken to the barber before picture day, which put me in a bad mood. I hated going to the barber. Hated going to the barber. Did I say I hated it? I hated it. Um, you, you would get to school and you would wait for that point in the day where the whole class would be dismissed they would walk you down the halls to the, usually the stage in the, in the auditorium somewhere where they had all this camera stuff set up and there would be a line. They would hand you a comb. You remember back in the old days when they would hand you a comb with the, the name of the photographer on it? I was informed by a teacher the other night, they don't do that anymore, okay? No combs. What's the world coming to? They don't even give you a comb on picture day. But they would give us combs. Probably the reason they didn't give us combs is because they ended up on the 
bathroom floor and, and somebody had to pick all those up and it was probably a nuisance, that's probably why. But you would stand in line, they would give you a comb, somewhere along the line there's a mirror, you could kind of check your look in the mirror. And, um, and, and when it came time to actually have your picture taken, one shot, right? You got one shot and if it was a bad picture, too bad. Like, um, you know, if you had a cow lick going on, too bad. If you had broccoli in your teeth, too bad. If, if your collar was all turned up and messed up like that, you know, all janked up, it, too bad. The picture was the picture you got, and as you got older, because a lot of times we wouldn't see these till it was way too late, as you got older, when the picture started going in the yearbook, if your picture was all junked up, then that's the picture that went in the yearbook, and that's the way they remembered you as a sophomore, right? So um, now for those of you who were born after 1997, I'm, I, that's, a, that's a kind of a circa kind of thing because in 1997 the Mavica digital camera was released which was the camera that you could actually put a diskette in and take a picture and then you could you could see it and you could decide whether you liked it or you could delete it or whatever it was cool you could instantly see it you could take it out put it in your computer you could share it with people print it you could you know put make it your desktop page I guess on your computer um, but for those of us who were alive before 1997 if someone took your picture, you had to wait a while to actually see it, right? Remember those days? I mean, um, at some point they came out with the, the uh, Kodak Instagram or the, the um, but Kodak made one too. What did they call theirs? Instamatic, Instamatic. So there's Polaroid and Kodak. I actually sold both at a department store one time, and I actually like the Kodak one better. There, I said it out loud. But... But remember the Polaroid where they would take the picture and then they would pull, the, you pulled this thing out of the camera, and I can't remember how those worked. Did you, you, you peeled it and then you waved it, right? You peeled it and then you waved it, and everybody gathered around to watch the picture kind of develop. I mean, that was big stuff. That was, that was cutting-edge technology when we were, I'm, not, I'm told that waving them around really didn't help at all, but that's what we, that's what we did. Um, so... Where was I? There are flies everywhere today, all right? I don't know if you can tell or not, but I've been distracted all morning. I got flies in my mouth, flies down my back. I got flies everywhere, so just, it's just bear with me. Pray for me, because it's going to be a long day. But, so, but you would take your picture, and then you would leave school that day. You would forget that you had your picture taken, because it took a while for those, those pictures to be developed and to come back. Right? They didn't do that digitally. You didn't get to see it. They didn't give you a disc or something to take home. Hey, Mom, look at the pictures today. No, you had to wait, usually months, before those pictures came back. And then they would give you a packet. It would have all the different prices for all the different packages. You remember all this? And, and your mom or whoever would look at those and decide um, whether or not they were going to buy those. And, and back in the day, you just kind of went on with your life and forgot that you would had your picture made. And, and then when you got home and you opened out, up that packet, you could, that's when you saw the broccoli in your teeth. That's when you saw the stain from lunch because you had your picture taken after lunch and you got an ice cream stain on your lapel or whatever, right? So I don't know if this will interest you or not. You'll probably watch what I'm about to do and think, he, he, he is an idiot. But I, when I was in the fourth grade, and they sent that package home with me, they're inside that, because you know they came in little sheets and you had to cut them up, right? You remember that? You could always tell whether mom cut them up or the kid cut them up, 
right? You could tell because the white thing was never perfect around the side when I cut them up. But in that, every package that we ever got, mom always got the same one and it always had like the little ones and then it had the five by seven or the four by six. I can't remember what size it was. But there was a, in, the, in my fourth grade one, there was a, um, a little pla- uh, paper frame that you could kind of slide that picture up in and you could fold out the cardboard and make it stand up. Cutting edge technology we had in 1972. So in the fourth grade, I took that four by six or five by seven, whatever it was, and I slid it up in that little portrait thing and I put it on my dresser. Then every year after that, when I would get the new package, I would cut out that size picture and I would slide it up in there. And I kept those every year from fourth grade to 11th grade. Would you like to see them? Heck yeah, you'd like to see them. So I knew I was going to talk about picture day, and I thought, you know, I've got those somewhere. So I, I, I looked and looked this week to find these. I finally found them, and I scanned them in. So let's start in the fourth grade. Let's start with the fourth grade. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, why did they even give me a comb? You don't comb that right there. That's just, I mean, that's just God-given right there, that. So fifth grade, can we see fifth grade? Now I'm gonna, you're going to get some volume to the hair. And I want you to check out the shirt. I did not wear clothes like that to school normally, right? That's what I wore to church. That's how mom dressed us to take us to church. If she laid that out for me to wear to school, I would have rebelled. But on picture day, I knew I didn't have a choice. She was just going to impose her will. So that was fifth grade. Sixth grade, oh, yeah, starting to put the hair over to the side. We've noticed girls at this point, so we're trying to impress people. Um, that's not a pimple on my face. I don't, that's a mark from the picture. We marked it up. It's a marker something or other. Seventh grade, golly, he's just pitiful. Look at that shirt. I have no idea. I don't ever remember wearing that shirt, not one time. Eighth grade, now I'm getting to wear T-shirts to school to, uh, to picture day. This was a big win for me in my life because mom would never let me wear a shirt without a collar for picture day. But she figured, you know, I was, I was coming, but mom, all the cool kids are wearing T-shirts to picture day. So I got to wear a T-shirt, thought I was really great. Ninth grade, here's what you need to know about me in the ninth grade. That little fella right there weighs 88 pounds soaking wet, right? 88 pounds. He's 4'11 in the ninth grade. Pitiful, pitiful. But he's happy, look at him, he's happy. Let's go to the tenth grade. Oh, yeah, now we're parting our hair in the middle. (laughs) Awesome. Got a sweater on. Let's go to the 11th grade. Now, I didn't enjoy, actually, it is scary how much I look like my sister in that picture. Scary. (laughs) Scary. If you know my sister, you know that's true. We look, at that point in our life, we looked almost, people thought we were twins. Um, She was 20 months younger than me. She was like six inches taller than me. I hated her guts, right? Just couldn't stand her. So I hope you enjoyed that. I just did that for fun. That has nothing to do with the sermon other than just let you laugh a little bit. Now, things have massively changed because now we live in a selfie-obsessed culture. You know, it's not other people taking pictures of us. We're taking pictures of ourselves. We take a picture. We filter it. Now, some of you may not know what a filter is, Um, a filter allows you to change the color, to make it black and white, to crop it, to, to soften it, to bring out certain colors or to mute certain colors, to take away red eye. You can use a filter for all those things. So to show you 
kind of, I brought a couple of pictures to show you how you can filter a picture. So I want to show you a, a picture that's just a normal picture. Dee Dee and I were at a cabin not long ago, and this was a carving that was inside that cabin. This cabin was really cool um, over in Brown County. But, but that was a picture in, in, a, in, one, in the sitting room. So I took a picture of it. <clears throat> but I can run that through a filter, and I can turn that into a black and white picture. So here's, here's what you can, you know, the same picture, I just put a filter on it and took all the color out of it and made it a black and white, which is kind of cool that you can do that. Um, back in the day, it cost you big money to do stuff like what, what we can do for free now on our phones. And then there's another thing that you can do. There's, there's all kinds of apps. The one that I've been taught to use or told to use is one called Snapseed. And through Snapseed, you can take a picture and you can enhance it. You can black and white. You can. So, so on the left is the original. And on the right is what it looks like after I've run it through Snapseed and I've put filters on it. To, to make the picture warmer, to, to enhance the colors, to do stuff with contrast and um, uh, saturation. And uh, there's all these different things that you can do to this picture to, to draw out certain colors. If you, if you um, wanted to, and I don't, I don't really know how to do this very well, but if you wanted to, if you liked that picture on the left, but you thought, you know, I want that shirt to be a little darker red, you can just kind of highlight the red part and make it redder, uh, bring out the red in it. It's really cool the kind of stuff that you can do because you can now filter pictures. And with the right software, it, you know, you can remove things, like you can remove a double chin or a, a zit or whatever. See, back in the day, when you woke up on picture day and you had a zit, like that was the worst thing ever, right? When you're, when you're a sophomore or a junior in high school or your senior picture and you wake up and your face is covered in zits, it's like, oh. It's like Murphy's Law. And, and now you got decisions to make. Do I pop it? Do I, you know, girls, were, are we, is it small enough I can cover with makeup? I mean, what, how, what am I going to do? Well, now you can just filter the thing. Now you can just, you know, they can, they can make them go away. They can airbrush and do different things. And the deal is we filter our lives and we show people a filtered best version of ourselves. We basically say, this is the filtered me that I want you to see. So here we are, we're in this selfie-centered world, taking pictures of ourselves, putting filters on them, and, and the heart behind the message that I'm going to deliver this morning is this. The more filtered our lives become, the more we show others the me I want you to see, the more difficult it is to be authentic. Culturally, we are becoming so trained to filter the picture and edit the caption that goes with the picture, because the caption matters too. Right? I mean, you got to spend some time. Uh, you got to have the right hashtag. You got to be clever, but not too clever. It has to be right, but it can't look like you're trying too hard because then you look, you know, self absorbed. Uh, we get that perfect picture and then we send it out there to the rest of the world so that they can affirm us and they can like what they see and they can make comments. And we are showing them um, that, that we're, we're, you know, we're this specific person. Last week, we talked about the three different ways that technology is impacting relationships. And it's easy when you talk about that to talk about it in a negative way. It's, it's easy to, to just automatically go negative with something like that. But there are also some really good ways that technology has informed and, and impacted our relationships. It is now possible to have uh, wonderfully blessed relationships through technology um, when there's distance between us. Uh, for instance, my good friend Michael has a son that is in um, medical school, and he's, 
you know, they, he, he had trouble when they sent him off to Franklin. I thought Michael was going to have to go, you know, help the boy. But um, now Jacob has moved a long, long way away from home. He's in medical school. They've not seen him since school started. They won't see him um, until Christmas. Tickets to get him home are like 1800 bucks. I mean, it's going to be, it's a big deal. But with technology, they can use something called FaceTime, which many of you have on your phone. You can dial up and your image comes up and you can video conference, basically is what it is, is have a video telephone call. And, you know, moms and dads like that because dad can see how much stress is on the kid's face. He's in medical school. It's pretty tough. Um, Mom can see whether or not he's eating well. Take one look at him and, you know, you need to eat more, eat your vegetables and that kind of stuff. Um, Not too long ago, we did a Skype session with our our missionaries in in Turkey. I don't want to say their names out loud because that's not safe, but we have some really good friends that are in Turkey and uh, we were able to Skype with them where we were able to really actually just have a face-to-face, we could be face-to-face and talk in real time and they're halfway around the world. I mean, that's pretty cool. Um, but as, as cool as it can be, there really are some negative consequences to social media and technology and we're going to talk about uh, a few of those. One of them, in answer to the question, how has technology changed our relationships. Here's a big one. People are starting to fear and avoid unfiltered communication. That's one of the things that's going on. Um, We are so used to being able to edit what we say and filter what we show to the rest of the world that if we do not have that luxury, if we get a sense that uh, people are going to hear us in real time or see us in real time, that gets us very nervous when it comes to talking and especially talking about ourselves. When you really start to watch this, you'll find people have a very difficult time with their, uh, or not a difficult time, but they have a very different online presence than what you get from them just in an, an everyday kind of setting. Um, it's, sometimes the online version of them is very different than the everyday version of them because they're able to filter everything. They, 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 can, they can go through it and make sure it looks just right before they put it on social media And they aren't quite as good at filtering their communication when it comes to real-time or face-to-face stuff. They're showing you the fake self, trying to get you to believe that that's who they are when, in fact, they're someone else. Um, To take that even further, you will find people, especially young people, you will find them very uncomfortable in a conversation that they feel like they cannot control. Okay, so if if, if they think think that it's going to be not going to know where it's going, then, then they're not probably going to want to have that conversation. I talked a little bit about this last week. Um, but remember back when we had the phone that hung on the wall? Remember that phone? And remember way back when it was a dial thing? Not even the push button. We really thought we'd arrive when we got push buttons, right? You can, it would beep at you. It was cool. But had that phone. There was no um, caller ID. Right now your kids are going, what? Yeah, there was no caller ID. Back in my day, when the phone rang, you didn't know who was on the other end. And the only way you could find out was you had to pick up the phone and listen for a voice and let someone identify themselves. And that's when you knew who was on the other end. Um, And then you had an unfiltered conversation. See, when you picked up the phone and you found out who it was, they said something, they maybe asked you a question or whatever, but you did not know where that conversation was going to go. You had no idea where that conversation was going to go. Today, we have the luxury or the blessing or the curse, depending on how you look at it, of being able to know before we pick up the phone who is going to be on the other end, most of the time. 
Sometimes people answer it. Sometimes people see who it is and then they let it roll over to voicemail and they say, I'll, you know, I'll call them later. Let them leave a message. I'll call them later. A lot of times when we see that a voicemail is being left, we'll, we'll wait, we'll listen to the voicemail, and then what do we do? We pick up the phone and we send a text, right? Because it's easier to send a text than it is to pick up the phone and call somebody. Um, and that way we stay in control of the conversation. That way you don't have to talk and we kind of know where the conversation is going to go, and we don't get surprised with this unfiltered conversation. One y- young lady, uh, like high school age, was asked one time how technology had impacted her relationships. And she said, I'm so afraid to talk on the phone that I script out what I'm going to say before I say it. When she was asked, what kind of what kind of phone conversation would you script out? Here's what she said. She said, well, <clears throat> if I was going to call the, to order a pizza, I write down how I'm going to say hello, and I write down how I'm going to ask for the pizza, and I write down what the ingredients need to be, and I write down that I need to ask how much it was and, and, and when it's going to be ready and that kind of thing. This is very, very normal for the current young people generation that we have. They... they they, they are learning how to communicate, and it's, when it comes to communicating in an unfiltered way, they're very intimidated by it. A group of about 25 students was asked one time, how many of you script your phone conversations? This particular group that was asked, over half of them raised their hand because they're afraid to get into a conversation that they don't know where it's going to go. Um, the filter is now on. Is, is really what's happening. The more filtered our lives become, the more difficult it is to live a life that is authentic, to, to, to be in relationships that are authentic. And it's, it's, this is not a modern-day problem. You might think that it is, but this has been going on since the beginning of time. Today, we're going to look, if you've got your Bible, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. <clears throat> we're going to look at Something that Paul says, as Paul looks back into the Old Testament, he's going to be talking about something that's spoken of in Exodus 34. Paul is going to talk about when Moses ascended to the top of Mount Sinai and received the Ten Commandments. And after a a long period of time, he came down from the mountain, and his face, we are told, was actually glowing. We're told that the glory of God was on the face of Moses after he had been up to the mountain to receive the Ten Commandments. That actually happens to me sometimes when I'm preaching. I don't know if you notice that, but it's, it's usually sweat. This morning it's flies, um, is what the glow is, it's the flies. But uh, his face was glowing, so, so Moses put on a veil, and you might be tempted to think that Moses put a veil on, and the reason he put the veil on was to keep people from seeing the glory of God, that he was afraid it was going to you know, shine too brightly or something like that. But if you really look at the text closely, he actually talked to the people first before he decided to put a veil over his face. And when you read Paul, Paul implies that he didn't put the veil on to protect people from seeing the glory of God, but that he put on the veil to keep the people from seeing that the glory of God was fading from his face. In other words, he put a filter over his face so that they would not see the truth that the glory of God was beginning to fade away from his face. So I'm going to read 2 Corinthians 3. Uh, we're going to start in verse 13. I'm going to read a big chunk of it. <clears throat> and then I'm going to come back 
and we'll look at a few verses of it. Let me give you a little context before we start. Paul was actually trying to show the Corinthians how much greater the new covenant was than the old covenant. So he's going to try and draw these parallels. Here's what he said, 2 Corinthians chapter 3. We are not like Moses, who put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away. But their minds were made dull, for to this day the same veil remains when the old covenant is read. It has not been removed, because only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. Now, what's Paul trying to say? Basically, he's saying whenever the Old Covenant is read in the synagogue, the the unbelieving Jew uh, cannot see the truth because they're blinded from seeing and experiencing the truth. Paul said later in 2 Corinthians 4 that the God of this age, and he uses a little g, which means he's not talking about our God, he's talking about like the devil, like the enemy. He says, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. The veil was keeping people from seeing the truth of who Christ is in the new covenant. So back to 2 Corinthians. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, this is verse 16. This is great news. This has happened for many of you in this room, what we're about to read. Whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into His image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So this is unveiled living that we're talking about. The problem is, most of us are wearing a veil, and we have become very skilled And we have learned how to filter our lives and show other people the me that I want you to see. Paul implies that this is what Moses was doing. He says, I'm going to cover the fact that the glory of God is fading away from my face. I don't want people to see that. I'm going to cover that. The challenge is this. By nature, this is what we do. By nature, we are insecure. And we don't feel good about ourselves. When we sin, rather than confessing that sin as a first response, by nature, we tend to hide. We tend to put up a veil. We, we tend to not want people to be able to see that we've sinned in some way. You can go all the way back to the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve, and you can see this. Adam and Eve sinned against God, and they didn't say, God, I'm sorry. You know, we shouldn't have done that. We're so sorry we've done this. No, they realized they were naked. They were ashamed because they were naked, and they were afraid So they hid. And it tells us that they put on fig leaves as a veil because they did not want the real me to be seen. And we all do this. We do it on social media. We do it in other ways as well. Here's the thing. Only Christ can remove the veil. Only Christ can remove the veil. Here's what I want to ask you today. And I doubt seriously that it'll it'll take you very long to come up with an answer. This is obviously a rhetorical question. What veil are you wearing today? What, what veil are you wearing today? What image are you trying to portray in public in your life that maybe you're not really? And when you think about social media, it, it's almost, it almost trains us to do this. You may, I mean, you go on Facebook, you see all different kinds of people, right? You see Mr. Spiritual Guy or Mrs. Spiritual Girl who they're going to take a picture of their Bible and their cup of coffee and their highlighter and their pen and their notebook 
and I'm getting ready to have my Bible study, and, you know, that sounds great, and there's nothing wrong with that. Some of you have taken pictures like that. You've posted them. I'm not putting you down, okay? I'm not putting you down. I want you to understand what I'm trying to say. But what happens when we post pictures like that, what we're not telling people is, the truth is there's sin that I haven't confessed, and I'm really not doing that good with God. The truth is I'm going to try to show you that I'm Mr. or Mrs. Spiritual, but the fact is I haven't prayed in a week. The fact is I, I'm not, I don't even feel really all that close to God, and my sin is haunting me, and it's driving me crazy. But hey, I'm Mr. Spiritual, or I'm Mrs. Spiritual. Or you might be with it, Mom. Have you ever seen with it, Mom? Now, we've all done this. Again, I'm not putting down anybody that's done this. I'm just trying to make a point. We take that picture of our kids on the first day of school, and they're all dressed real neat. Now, we take that picture because we love our kids, right? We want to remember that day, and it's, it's, they're, it's fun for them. I think they enjoy that. But we take that picture. We take pictures of, you know, I'm packing my kid's lunchbox today, and this is what I'm putting in the lunchbox. And, or, you know, I, look, I bought my kids matching lunchboxes. Isn't that going to be so cute or whatever? And, and Or here's me at soccer with my kids. We just take all kinds of pictures of us with our kids, which is fine. The problem is, if someone could really sit down with you and ask you, how do you feel about being a mom? Here's what some of you would say. I feel like a horrible mom. I, I feel like I, I don't do enough. I feel guilty. I feel overwhelmed. I feel overworked. I feel like I don't have any friends. I feel like I don't have a life. And if someone were to ask you, you would say, honestly, I'm, I, I put the picture up there, and I've got great kids, and look at that picture. Aren't they cute? But if I'm totally honest with you, I do not feel like a very good mother. Somebody would say that. Or maybe you're super dad. And you're out in the park with your kids, you know, and I'm going to take a picture of me, and I'm, gonna, I'm pushing my kids on the swing set, you know. And then as soon as you post the picture, then you get caught up in Twitter or something else, and the kids are like, hey, dad, hey, dad, hey, dad. And you've completely checked out. And, and again, not putting you down for taking a picture and putting it on, on some social media site with your kids. That's not the point. The point is you can do all that and then turn right around and not be the engaged father that you want everybody to think that you are. Or how about, you'll all recognize this guy, how about protein shake guy, right? Protein shake guy. I work out, I'm at the gym, whew, you know, muscles, all that stuff. This is what I'm drinking today and all these muscles, what they're not telling you is that two hours later, they're going to eat a bunch of potato chips and a cheeseburger, right? And it looks cool. Now, there's going to be some dude that really does work out and say, Brett, would you like to go out back with me and find out what kind of shape I'm in? No, I do not want to do that. I've seen people post workout pictures and the food, the health foods they're eating and all this kind of stuff. And, you know, they want you to think they're in great shape, but then they take a selfie, and it's clear by the picture they are not in shape. They're not losing weight. None of that's working. But that's the me they want you to see. And, and they're so insecure because everything for them is about, I'm healthy this, I'm healthy that, I'm, you know, I'm working out. I'm, and you look at them and like, dude, you're not any healthier than I am. You know, I mean, when are we going to be real? And when are we going to say, look, I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm not going to try to be healthy girl or spiritual guy or super dad or super mom. 
you know, there's this guy that's posted a picture of him and his wife, and they're on, a, they're on date night, and he's out with his BFF, and his, you know, I'm out with my smoochy poochy poo, and isn't she gorgeous, and we have such a great marriage. And what they don't tell you is that they can barely stand one another. They don't talk anymore. They haven't been intimate in God knows how long. That, that every time they talk to each other, it's a fight, but they put the picture out there so they will carve the image, hey, look at us, we're awesome, and we never fight, and we always get along. Listen, the best marriage in here has a struggle from now and, now and then. The best marriage in here goes at it from time to time. And for us to act like we never have those kind of problems is inauthentic. There are so many people that are living to create a moment on social media to carve out this image of who I am, and they think that when people see that, that's, I'm going I'm to make them see what I want them to see. So you say, okay, Brett, so does that mean that you're always honest and you're showing everything on social media? My answer to that is I'm always going to try to be honest. But no, I am not always going to tell you everything on social media. I would say it like this. Everything we say should be true, but not everything that is true should be shared on social media. Can I get an amen? Right? Yeah. There are some over-sharers out there, and you need to listen to thus saith the Lord, who says, shut thyself up, put thy phone down, and slowly back away from the phone, right? I mean, some of us need to do that. Everybody doesn't need to know or want to know all of your feelings. I've seen moms post pictures or post uh, posts on Facebook you know, please pray for my son. He's rebelling. Oh, that's going to go over real good when your son sees that you just asked all of your friends on Facebook to pray for his rebellion. That's going to hashtag increase relationship, right? Or, you know, when you say, please pray for my unbelieving husband, we got to pray for him and get him to go to church. Yeah, that's going to drive him right to church when he sees that you put that out for the whole world to see. The ones I really love are, are when people start to air their dirty laundry and have their marital argument on Facebook. Please, I mean, you just want to, you, you just shake your head and go, what is wrong with people? Have they lost their mind? I mean, social media is not the place for you to drop that veil, okay? Um, but here's the thing, if you don't remove the veil face-to-face, sometimes you'll always be longing for something more. So there has to be a place that you go. There has to be a place where you drop the veil. I'm just saying, social media is not that place. You don't want to do that in front of the whole world. You need a place, you need someplace safe where you can drop the veil. Some people put the veil on, and then they post to social media, and then they're constantly checking. Did they like it? Did they like it? Did they like me? And that's where they get all of their self-esteem and all of their security, and yet we still feel empty because we're not totally being real with anybody. And we're not being vulnerable in a way that God wants us to be vulnerable. And the veil continues to stay on. Verse 15, even to this day when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. Don't miss this. A veil that first covers the face eventually covers the heart. What starts out as a superficial covering became a, superficial, uh, uh, a, became a spiritual condition. Today, 
we have a generation that has become so conditioned to filtering everything that they do not know how to open up. Let me ask you some questions. Again, these are rhetorical, but, but hopefully these will help kind of steer you and, and bring you to a place where I send you out of here thinking about some things this morning. Is there anybody who knows the real you? Is there anybody who knows the real you? Do you have someone that you can share the deepest, darkest parts of yourself with? Now, if the answer is yes, I'm glad for you. Way to go. You probably are very emotionally healthy because of that fact. If you answered no, then I would ask why not. And the reason for some would be this. Brett, I don't really know how to open up. I don't really know how to to let people see the deepest, darkest side of me. And then if I were to press on that a little bit, you would hear him say something like this. And Brett, I'm afraid that if I really did open up and show them who I am, I'm scared they won't like me. I'm scared they won't want to have anything to do with me if they know the real me. A veil that first covers the face eventually covers the heart. And this isn't just something that's a problem for the 20-year-old or the teenager this is a problem for people who are much older as well. I can ask people, how you doing? Oh, I'm fine. Well, how's your marriage going? Oh, it's great. Well, how's your, how are you and Jesus getting along? Oh, we're doing great. And the reality is that there's so many parts of you that, that you've not shared in and, and, and possibly decades, and you have this veil on, and you're playing the part, and you've got the role down, and you're play acting. But Jesus would say, you know what? That's just hypocrisy. That's all that is. Now, I want you to understand. Sometimes when somebody says, how are you? Really, all they're doing is saying hello, and we get that, right? But once in a while someone says, how are you? They really want to know. Once in a while, and you know when it is, when someone looks at you and says, how are you? And you go, oh, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine. No, you're not fine. Let's sit down and talk about it. Oh, no, 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 I'm good, I'm good. See, Jesus would say, no, that's hypocrisy. When, you, when there's someone that you really could trust and really could help you or, or, or could, you could just use them as a sounding board and you just want to make it look like everything's great, Jesus would say, that's hypocrisy. The veil covers the face and it eventually covers the heart. And some people are so used to showing the fake self, they don't even know the real self anymore. Because I'm this person to this group, and I'm this person to this group, and i got to carve this image and be this way so that these people will think this about me. And suddenly we're living for likes and we're longing for love because until we show who we really are, until we know, that, you know, until we know and are fully known, we are always going to be longing for something more. We want to be known. We want people to know who we are, and we want to know other people. But somehow we're always filtering things and we're always showing the best side of us so that we can impress some people, but we are not connecting. Here's the difference this morning. I don't want you to miss this. We connect with people through our weaknesses. We may impress them with our strengths, but we impress people or we connect with people through our weaknesses. You ever met somebody and thought, oh, they're so perfect, I hate them, right? You ever seen their Facebook persona and they look like they've got it all together and you think, man, I'm sure I don't like them. I just don't think I would like them. And then you meet them one day and you get to really know them and you find out that they've got issues and problems just like you and you're like, well, 
I kind of like that guy. You know, once you see that, he, that he's just like you, once you see that he's got problems just like you, you go, oh, I like them. Because we connect through weakness. So often we're trying to impress the world with, hey, here's the me I want you to see. And yet we're longing for something so much more because we may impress people with our strengths, but we connect through our weaknesses. The veil that starts on the face eventually covers the heart. One of the pieces of feedback that I hear the most about what I do for a living and, and just me being a pastor, here's what I hear more than anything else. Brett, I love you because you're just like me. I love you because you don't try to hide the fact that you struggle that you struggle with sin, that you don't have your life all figured out. I love you because you are just like me and you don't try to hide that from anybody. You know what? I mean, when it comes to me, I'm such a train wreck, I couldn't fool you anyway, right? I'm such a mess. I couldn't fool you anyway. I'm not even going to try. But that's how we connect. I had a, an exchange with a, a dear, dear friend of mine leaving church in the first service this morning. They left in tears, came up, gave me a hug. They said, you will never know how much it means to me that I can be who I am around you. That's where we connect. We connect in our weaknesses. We connect in those areas where we're not really all that good, where we do struggle, and we haven't got it all figured out. So what do you do? We have a generation, literally, that is being trained to filter their image. It's about image management. Here is the me I want you to see. Now, at this point, you might expect me to give you some advice, you know, like practical suggestions, like try to be yourself. Well, that's good advice. It is. Uh, you know, you might expect me to say something like, don't use a filter every time you take a picture. You know, just take the picture and put it out there. Don't try to make yourself look all pretty. Well, that's good advice. People need to see that. You might expect me to say, try not to care what people think. You know, I mean... Yes, I guess. I mean, bad things happen when we completely stop caring what people think. Have you noticed? That's good advice. But don't miss this. The whole message this morning, and this is really why you're here, only Christ can remove the veil. Only Christ can remove the veil. Look at 2 Corinthians 3, verse 16. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, some of you are here for this moment this morning. You have been turning to everything else for affirmation. You have been turning to everyone else for affirmation and you still don't have it. But when you turn to the Lord, you don't even have to remove the veil because he does it for you. When you turn to the Lord, the veil is taken away and suddenly you are not getting approval from someone or trying to get likes from somebody. You're, you're getting the love of Christ. See, when you turn to the Lord and you say, God, this is who I am. I'm just, I'm a mess on the inside. This is all the stuff where I don't get it right, God. That's when you understand that God loves you just the way you are. I know I say that all the time, and I talk to adults a lot, and I hear this more than anything else. Brett, you don't know what I've done. I don't care what you've done. God loves you. Well, I know God loves everybody else, Brett, but I don't know if God can love me. No, God is crazy about you. Let me, listen, every person in here, all right, Every person in here, I don't care what you've done, I don't care what you did last night, I don't care what you did five years ago, I don't care how bad it is, I do not care. God is crazy about you. He loves you. For you to come in here and think, well, God can't love me. No, then you don't understand God. 
God is full on, all over, every bit in love with you. There's something very liberating when you realize I am acceptable to God through Jesus. I, am, I have the righteousness of God in Christ. Christ is sufficient. And when I realize that Christ is all I have, then I realize he's all I need. And I don't need the approval of somebody else because I have the approval of God. The same power that raised Christ from the dead is inside me. My identity is not in how many followers I have. My identity is in who I am following. I'm following Jesus. Therefore, I have no need of the veil. The veil is taken away. Verse 17, now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, say this with me, there is freedom. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And then watch the beauty of this. And we all, who with unveiled faces, this is who I am, warts and all, this is really who I am, and we, not me, we're stronger together, we're always better together, and we all, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory. Because it is not about me in a selfie-centered world. I choose to give him glory. We contemplate the Lord's glory. And when we do that, guess what happens? We are being transformed. Not into the person that we think they want us to be, but we are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. How do we get unveiled faces? When you turn to the Lord and the veil is taken away and with unveiled faces we are transformed and we're being transformed into the image of Christ. Not for the approval of people. I want you to get over trying to live for the approval of people. I want you to get over trying to live so that everybody else is liking all your stuff. I want you to understand as you leave here today, God likes your stuff. God is crazy about you. God loves you so much so that he sent his son to die for you and to give him glory in that all we do and that's how we follow Jesus in a selfie-centered world. So here's what I want to I want to tell you this morning. Continue to do your social media stuff. I'm not I'm not making fun of you or putting you down. Listen, that's the world we live in. We all do that. We all take pictures of things, put it on there and share it with people because we love our friends and we want them to it's a way to share our world with everybody. That's cool. But be very careful that as you do that, you're not falling into a trap of trying to craft this image for the world to see that is really not you. There's a way to share yourself with people and to let people see you and that you can be real and authentic with it. Um, I said this in the first service. I want to make sure I say this before you guys get out of here. I honestly believe that one of the deep needs that we have as human beings is we long to be able to have somebody that we can sit down with and share the deepest, darkest parts of who we are. Just, just get rid of all the n- nasty stuff, unload it on somebody, and have that person look back and say, I don't care, I love you anyway. Now hopefully you've got that. Hopefully you have that with somebody in your life, and hopefully you are that for somebody. But I can tell you this, whenever I'm talking to people, that's what I'm trying to be. I'm trying to be a person who can hear the worst, absolute worst part of somebody else and be that voice that looks back and says, you know what, I do not care, I love you anyway. And I am in rich, deep relationship with so many of you because we've had exchanges like that. Because I've shared with you where I struggle and how bad I can be. And you've shared with me where you struggle and how bad you can be. And we find common ground in that because we know that's authentic. 
So I hope you have that in your life. I want to pray over you as you get ready to go out. Let's offer this up to the Lord this morning. Father, authentic relationships are hard to find because we are so nervous about letting people know who we are and how we are. I pray that we would get over that. I pray that in the right context with the right people, we would be willing to uh, let you lower the veil and we would be honest. We would have these authentic relationships where people just know who we are. They're not surprised by the fact that we don't have it all together. And God, I pray that we would be very, very gracious. Lord, one of the things that I, I love, love about this church is how accepting, how loving it is. And how people come in, they're hurting, they're sore, they feel horrible, and we just love. God, you're the one that has taught us how to do that because you've done that with us. And we come to our prayer time and we drag in this bag full of stuff that we've done and we're ashamed and we're embarrassed and we're mad at ourselves because we can't do better. And we hold all that stuff up to you and you say, I want you to understand, I died for that. I forgive that. Grace covers all that. Just come here and let me love you. Let me wrap my arms around you and let you know that I love you. Father, I pray as we walk out these doors that we feel your love and we share that with a world that desperately needs to feel it. You are the only way that happens. Help us with it. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.